Hey guys, Adam here. I have, within the last 15 seconds, got off of Zoom. I had a great conversation with a chap called Roy Stein over at Babblebark. This is one of those moments where I'm actually excited to hear the feedback from this show. We've had some great guests on. We're going to have some great guests in the future. But I just felt that Roy, he's been around the block. He's done entrepreneurship. He's done corporate. And the way that he communicates, the passion that he has, I think you're going to take away a lot from this show. We talk about a a number of things, B to C to B strategy, in terms of how do you create uh, ground roots pressure uh, for an uptake of a really technical product, a platform play. He's doing some really interesting things in the pet space, but like that old saying goes, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And what Roy's doing, I thought would be impossible to try and piece off one bite at a time. And he explains his approach and how he's done it, how he bootstrapped the business, and then how he decides to then, once he had traction, once he had clear direction and vision, then take VC money and the thought process behind that. Guys, enjoy the show and please drop us an email. It's startupdiary at nbs.fm. I want to hear what you think about this interview. And Roy has enjoyed himself on this show. He's willing to come back. So if you have any questions off the back of it, fire a question in and I'll make sure I ask Roy on our follow-up to the show. Enjoy. Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of The Startup Diary. Today, we have another interview with Adam Callow, and this time he is speaking with Roy Stein, founder of Babblebark.com. A little bit about Roy. He is a serial entrepreneur and former executive in companies ranging in size from public corporations with thousands of employees to idea and seed stage startups with a proven track record in building businesses and turning a problem or company around. With over 20 years experience leading, building and operating business units and companies across different countries and spanning continents, he understands the nuances of global and local markets, product development, technology integration, partnership ecosystems and generating widespread adoption in the marketplace while building multicultural and multi-location teams. Roy currently serves as the CEO of Babblebark, a company co-founded in 2015 which is a highly unique software platform for the companion animal space. So for now, guys, sit back and enjoy this interview with Roy Stein. Roy, firstly, huge appreciation for taking the time out, given everything that's going on in the world and the growth that you're seeing over at Babblebark. Just want to say thank you. How are things your end right now? Thank you very much for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure. Things are going... Well, it's, it's kind of surreal because on a personal level, I think we've never had more challenging times. I can tell you I've got four sons, a wife and a dog, no punt intended to any, but, you know, being in the house for four, five weeks now, you know, sheltering place, all of us, it's getting a little bit challenging. But, uh, and obviously whatever's going on in the economy is problematic, but from the business perspective, Given what the company, what Babelbach does, we are flourishing. So we've had more growth in Q1 than in all of 2019 combined. So it's a little bit of a surreal situation where, you know, personally it's um, challenging, but business-wise it's flourishing. Yes, uh, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot that you guys do that I'm looking forward to unpackaging. And there's actually some similarities with what you're building, Roy, from my perspective in terms of the ecosystem in, within your product, in terms of what my core business does, Expert Trades. And a lot of the listeners of this show, uh, we do one show a week documenting my startup journey. So selfishly, one of the things that I really enjoy doing on these interviews is uh, trying to learn a little bit uh, from everyone that I interview. In order to set the scene for everyone listening, could you just explain what Babelbark is? Sort of like what 
what, why do you guys exist? Yeah, so Bubblebark is a platform. It's not an app. It's not, I mean, apps are a dime a dozen. Wherever you throw a rock, you can find an app. What we build, we build a platform that has both back-end portals and front-end applications, but basically connects the whole ecosystem around companion animals, pets, in one place. We connect the shelters, the groomers, the trainers, the walkers, the nutritionists, the speciality vets, the regular general practice vets, the emergency vets, everybody in one place with the, with the pet parent. We concentrate and aggregate everybody, every service, every product, every need in one place. Think of it a little bit like one of the travel platforms like Expedia or Priceline or Bookings.com, one of those, where you know they don't provide any single service themselves. They don't have planes, they don't have cars, they don't have hotels, but they are the largest and most profitable um, hospitality companies out there. We're the same thing. We don't provide any service. We're not dog walkers. We're not trainers. We're not um, pet stores that, that sell food. We're certainly not veterinarians, but we are one of the largest pet companies out there because we aggregate everyone and everything in one place, enabling the pet parent, specifically the younger generations which are used to managing their life on technology and platforms, to manage everything regarding their pet in one place with their own favorite providers, not with our providers, with their providers, but on one platform. Uh, love, love the explanation and clearly the passion for the business, which is coming through, which I absolutely love to hear, Roy, especially for someone that has the track record that you've got. It's interesting to hear that you are still as fired up as ever. One thing that I want to, I want to dig into, uh, there's a couple of things uh, for listening to the show that I'm trying to unpackage is uh, one, I'm always interested to hear sort of the inception story. How did this thing come about and why have you decided to commit so much of your life to solving this problem? I'm always interested in that. So we'll spend a few minutes on that. But the second biggest thing I want to talk about is when building a platform, it feels like you've got to have a huge amount of moving parts plugged into this platform and ecosystem before it becomes valuable to a user. I'd love to learn how you've tackled that problem. So first one is why are you spending your life fixing this problem? What is it about it and how did the whole thing come about? So, Bill, my business partner and myself, we've been working together for close to 15 years, 12, 15 years now. Uh, He came from Microsoft back in the day. I came from a large public uh, telecom and then billing company. And then we moved into the startup world. We met up in the startup world a decade and a half ago. Um, And we did three different startups over the course of our career. And then when we, uh, when the last startup was acquired um, back in November of 14, we were kind of sitting around uh, and our wives who are good friends had enough of us. <laughs> and they were like, you guys need to get away, you know, because you're getting on our nerves. You've been heads down five years, you know, no days off. Just, you know, go replenish somewhere and come back as human beings. Now, I've got four boys, like I said before, Bill has two girls. We love our kids to death, but they don't hold a candle to our pets. Because in all honesty, when you get home at 11 p.m. at night, the only living thing that gives a damn is the pet. Right? She's always happy to see me. She's always wagging her tail. If I can get a, hey, dad, for my kids, that's good. Usually it's, can I have the car keys? Okay, so, you know, we love our pets. So we were planning on going on vacation and uh, by demand of our wives without them which is a good thing. Um, And we were kind of thinking, okay, how do we make sure that the pets are well taken care of? 
So we started looking at the pet market and we found easily dozens of apps out there. You know, dog walking apps, pet sitting apps, um, whatever you want. But all of them were slicing and dicing. In order to get a full picture of what's going on with our pets, we literally had to have six or eight different apps that we had to dance between one to the other and put together, you know, slivers of information. And in this day and age, that doesn't make any sense. So we said, why not build a, a, a script where we can pull information from all of those different apps for ourselves, for our own use, for our own dogs, and put it in the cloud, um, in Google Drive or Box or Dropbox or one of those things. And basically, we'll just log into that script on a daily basis and we'll see what the, dig, what the uh, dog has been doing by the kids uploading that information. And we'll get, you know, wherever we are, in the Bahamas or in Alaska, in Spain or in Australia, we'll be able to get a good indication of what's happening. Seemed logical to us, right? Mm -hmm. And as we were doing that, and we were kind of joking about it with the people in the dog park, we were shocked. But we had 147 people within three weeks who said they wanted to use that script on themselves. And that's that, kind of was a light switch. Was that sort of like word of mouth? You're speaking yes. to people in a dog park? Yeah. Wow, yeah. okay. That's validation. Yeah, I mean, I mean my, my best friends are the people in the dog park. It's people I meet with usually an hour in the morning and, you know, half an hour to an hour in the evening. Same group of uh, folks that we meet because the dogs like to play with one another. And, you know, you stand around for an hour yapping. What do you have to do, right? Talking about anything in the world. So we were kind of talking about it and people were just kind of latching on. So we took a step back and we said, let's look at the dog market from a business perspective, something we've never done. And when we looked at the dog market, we realized three things that I think most companies miss the correlation of all three points together. Point number one is when you look at the market for the last 20 years, it's been growing globally at 4 to 6% year over year with two anomalies. In the dot-com bubble burst and recession of 01, it grew by 17%. And in the subprime uh, recession of 2008, it grew by 21%. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. When you start peeling back the onion, you realize point number two. The driving force behind the pet market it's what's considered the pet gen, which are the millennials and the generation below them, the Z, Z generation. So people from their mid-30s and below. Getting married on average five years later than the older generations, having kids, if they even have any, on average 10 years later than the former generation. But 69% of pet gen households have a pet, 40% of which have two or more pets and they treat their pets like human beings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everything from terminology like fur baby and pet parent and the types of food and the type of furniture and the type of, you know, whatever, toys, you know, really humanizing the pet world. The, and as that generation grows more and more from a demographic perspective into ownership of pets globally, that market will continue to grow. The third thing that we figured out and put together is that every global market that this generation has taken over from a demographic perspective has moved to platforms. If you look at media, platforms like Reddit 
or uh, even Facebook with real news and fake news and instant messaging and uh, posting and whatever. It's a platform that gives you a host of different uh, things. If you look at travel, all of the Expedias and Pricelines and Kayaks and Hotels.com and whatever, right? When have you seen a travel agent lately? They're more or less extinct, at least in the US. So every area in life that these generations have moved into has moved into platforms. And in every one of those verticals, there's four or five mega platforms that are worth tens of billions of dollars on a global basis that rule that sector. And when you look at the pet world, you see that it's growing like there's no tomorrow. The generation which is driving it is this exact generation, but there's no frigging platforms. So why not build a platform that will connect and aggregate everybody together and we have a slam dunk and now you know we're building it for ourselves but we're extrapolating that to everybody else out there and that will position us potentially as one of those four or five mega platforms on a global basis and you're good to go well there's a there's a lot to unpack is there it felt like you had two of the underlying fundamentals going in your direction platform doesn't exist but one thing that I guess one thing that selfishly I want to know, Roy, is um, what, what one thing that we're trying to do over at Expert Trades, we're trying to build an ecosystem where trades professionals like plumbers and electricians, homeowners who want the home improvement work, the merchants where you can buy the materials and the brands that make the materials, they're four people that operate within our ecosystem. Um, we're trying to build a platform to basically bring all of these four players together. And the, I guess the biggest thing that we're struggling with is one there's a, there's a critical mass of features needed to make it at all interesting and valuable. And then you need some version or some network effect in order to uh, start to get different users from these different pools of people onto the platform. What was the first thing that you guys did or built um, in order to, one, validate it, and then two, realize this is something you want to spend the next five, 10 years of your life building? Take me through that. It feels like there's, a, there's an elephant here. How do, you, how do you eat an elephant? You one bite at a time is the old expression. Like, how did you take your first bite? So you just hit the nail on the head. And I can tell you that uh, now, five years after the fact, with you know, the success we're having, we've had chief innovation officers of multi-billion dollar corporations telling us they've been trying to crack that exact code for 10 plus years and haven't succeeded while we have. And the reason we've succeeded is I'll tell you something which is really um, strange for the entrepreneur to say, but we didn't take investments for the first two plus years. Mm-hmm. And the reason we didn't take investments is exactly for the uh, question you asked. Because we understood the complexity, because we understood the crawl, walk, run of how we needed to build it, we could not afford to have a VC. No disrespect to VCs, but a VC standing over our shoulder or being a majority owner on the board and saying, my funds are going to be up in two years. My LPs want to see returns. You need to monetize too quickly. No, screw that. We needed to build the platform in a way which is you know, long-term. So what we did was the first thing we realized is building a platform that talks to veterinarians, oncologists, neurosurgeons, you know, highly educated people, all the way to 
groomers and walkers. No disrespect to one versus the other, but they have different pain points and they need different things in the platform. Mm -hmm. So even though the platform is one platform, let's market it with three different brand names. Let's use Bubblebark, the name of the company, for the pet parent. Let's use Bubble Vet for the vet. And let's use Bizbark for the businesses, groomers, walkers, trainers. We created three different websites, each one with specific verbiage and specific you know, um, pitch to that target market. We created three different social media entities. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for each one of the three different entities. And, but basically, it's all user interface, right? It's all marketing crap. Behind the scenes, it's one platform that is really uh, connects everybody and, and everything. And it's the same thing. It's just a different marketing pitch for one versus the other. Then we said, let's analyze the market. Let's see where the low-hanging fruit is. And what we figured out was that the walkers and the groomers are the low-hanging fruit because they're the best of people ever, best of people ever. But at least the average pet business is 1.7 employees with a average income of about $40,000 per person. Because of these, their size and their income, they do not have the capacity to build their own technology or to buy external technology just because of the pricing. So mm -hmm. they don't have their own app. They don't have their own platform. They don't have their own CRM. They don't have, you know, they work on iPhone calendars and on Excel sheets or even index cards to manage their clientele. So we went after that market first, those sectors first, gave them a cloud-based SaaS platform that enables them to do online client management and the payments and online marketing and um, scheduling and all that kind of great stuff. Uh, free, totally free. So obviously the adoption was very, very quick. But then the trick is, in order for it to really pop for them, they needed their end clients, the dog owners, to have the corresponding app. So they became our marketing engine. So it was a classic B2B2C perspective where for every business that we got on board, by giving them a free platform to take them into the 21st century and you know, be able to compete with all the big boys, even though you're a small homegrown business, they on average brought us three to 400 end clients, app users onto the platform. And we grew literally overnight by thousands of uh, users following that B2B2C um, methodology. And then we replicated that when we went to the trainers, when we went to the shelters, when we went to the vets. It was a different pitch for the vets, for example. It's all about telemedicine and remote patient monitoring and connected care, not about you know online scheduling. But the main idea is the same thing. You get a business on board, for that business to really pop, they need their end clients on board. They become your marketing engine in getting force multipliers of thousands of, of users. That's an absolutely... So two things. One, love the way that you've just communicated that. And there's a lot of things that we're actually doing over here at Expert Trades that uh, we didn't realize uh, the impact that we were having uh, from a strategic point of view, uh, we sort of did what you just said as a byproduct. We've got an app for tradespeople to do quotes, invoices, and calendar bookings. And in order for them 
to get any pop, as you said, to make it useful, they need to bring their customers, which are the homeowners getting the home improvement onto our platform. Uh, so there's a, a lot of similarities that we're doing that uh, you just, uh, in a space of about two minutes, uh, have given us a nice bite-sized bit of information that anyone working in a B2B2C model can just sort of, like, it feels like a playbook that they can pick up and run with. Um, I really like that. But that kind of leads me on to the next part of the conversation, which is, it sounds like you've got one platform that you've uh, communicated in different channels, but leading it all to the same singular platform. You've created marketing comms for the, for the vets, for the trainers, for the groomers, giving them a tool to, for them to bring their their customers onto. After having a look at your track record and the funding that you've got, at what point did you go actually right now is the time to bring VCs on board because I completely resonate with your comment around let's bootstrap for two years. It's exactly what we did here, to be honest. It's um, We wanted to find our own version of product market fit. We didn't want to be rushed. We were happy to go a little bit slower to make sure we've got it right before we try and scale it and put that gas on the fire and have someone else telling us how quickly we need to grow. You've taken that leap, done a couple of rounds, an A round and some venture rounds, um, raised a substantial amount of capital what gave you the confidence to say now is the time that our listeners might, there might be listeners right now that are saying, actually, I've got a bit of product market fit. If I put some gas on the fire, this thing can scale. At what point did you say now's the time to raise capital? So when we were um, past the A alpha, we were past the alpha. We had a working product, not production ready yet, but we had a prototype or alpha version and we had um, several dozen businesses and um, I think it was like 5,000 or 6,000 users um, already working and we could see the traction and everything else. But then, and then we said, okay, now's the time to bring on people. But again, we didn't want VCs. It was still too early and we still had a ways to develop the vision before we start getting pushed and pulled by the VCs into a certain uh, mindset. So we went after Super Angels, Super Angels and family offices. And we did a small round of 1.6 million, which allowed us to get to post beta. Uh, that was in September of 16. And then in January of 18, and all of this is public knowledge. I mean, four is, uh, form Ds have been filed. You can see that online. And then on, uh, uh, in January of 18, we went back to the same super angels and family offices that backed us in the A, uh, in the uh, seed round. And we said, let's do an A round. And we were looking to do 3 million. But by that time, we had hundreds of uh, several hundred, I think it was like 300 uh, pet businesses and about 30 or 40,000 um, um, pets on the platform. We were looking to raise 3 million. We uh, ended up being oversubscribed and we got 4.5 million. We turned away checks. And not because I'm an arrogant uh, uh, prick, not at all, but we, we turned them away because we wanted the right kind of investor, not any investor. Talk to me about that. What does that mean to you? What is the yeah, right sort of investor? It's a long-term investor that has their eyes fixated on the fact that we can be a multi-billion dollar global dominating platform like Expedia or like Facebook or like Etsy or like Reddit in each one in their respective markets. Because we have a first mover advantage. We have two plus years advance on anybody else out there. We're already all over North America. 
we already had initial users in uh, the UK, in Greater Britain, in Australia, in New Zealand, in Europe, in, in other places. And now it was just a question of fine-tuning the beta to a production level and then uh, knocking the ball out of the park with the uh, marketing dollars. But the idea was don't start charging too soon because it's about growth and usage, not about dollars you know, in this quarter or next quarter. So we needed the investors who wanted that long-term value perspective and not the short-term flip kind of perspective. And that automatically cut out a large part of the VC world. Again, no disrespect to the VCs, just a different kind of mindset with many of those uh, mm -hmm. VCs. Um, and that's why we turned away some checks, but we took family office money because the family offices have a much longer view and a different set of um, targets they want to reach, not necessarily, you know, flipping a company over to a PE after three years and making 20, uh, making, you know, to, uh, 10 times the investment, you know, as a VC uh, would do. And that's the direction we went. And then just recently, not long ago, we opened up our Series B and now it's a very different play because now it's a you know, pure commercial kind of raise. And now we are entertaining um, discussions with both VCs and private equity firms. But it's, you know, we opened that up when we already have the level of traction. And I'm talking about north of 300,000 users already with over 1,200 businesses already. And so we have the traction. We have, we're running at a rate of over 11 sessions per pet on the platform in a eight-week period. Uh, we count stuff in eight-week periods, you know, millions of sessions in that eight-week period. So now we're in a different position from both a term commanding terms and conditions and valuations that we can bring the big boys in, but the vision is already set, the direction is already set, a lot of stuff is already set. Now it's only about execution with large marketing budgets. Like, yeah, I think there's there's a big learning for, for everyone listening to this, as well as some learning that I've shared in the past, which is not all money is equal. And I've made that mistake in the past, to be honest, Roy. Um, yeah. It's really hard as a, as a, as a first-time founder uh, when you're offered a check, which is probably more money than you've ever considered or thought of in your life, to say no. And I think the key thing that I just heard, and I wish I'd probably heard it five, six years ago, is uh, one, not not all money is equal. And having someone that's fixated on the destination that you go into, not the, their own short-term intervals of success, that's hugely important. One one thing that you, you covered off, which I find I'd love to just dig into just for a minute, is at what point do you think about monetization of the platform compared to scale? If you've got lots of free users and you're operating, in, I assume some freemium model where a feature set is there for free and then premium features are paid for, at what point of your development and timeline do you think about adding paid for features to try and monetize to prove that there's traction there and there's a revenue model compared to marketing dollars acquiring users to monetize them in the future. How do you balance those two things? We, we actually planned for that on the get-go. And we planned for it from the very first because we already have the, the template in the market, which was Amazon, Amazon and Amazon Prime. I mean, they proved the case of how this needs to work. And we follow that kind of cookbook. 
So we have BubbleBark, but as part of BubbleBark, we have, which is a free app that anybody can download in the US and Canada at the moment because of GDPR, it's uh, not available in Europe. It will be in the summer, but we had to close it down in Europe until we got through the GDPR, uh, the privacy mm -hmm. uh, laws which were enacted. But in, in North America, you can just go to the App Store and, or the Google Play Store and download the app. But then there's a premium level app, which we call AlphaPack, that gives you all kinds of features like 24-7 vet hotline and lost and found and all kinds of stuff like that. And it costs only $2.65 a month. And, you know, we had that planned for the beginning. We just rolled that out. It's already uh, taking a lot of, uh, making a lot of traction and people are signing up. That's on the pet parent side. On the vet side, we, when we saw the uptake and we saw how much vets really need this, we said, okay, we're going to give the vets a free 60-day trial offer where they can go to town and test this seven ways from Sunday. But then at the end of 60 days, they need to pay. Um, again, and the logic being that once a vet starts working with telemedicine, not telehealth, which telehealth is on real-time video, right? Any vet can open up, you know, any two-way video if it's a free one on Zoom, even if it's a FaceTime on an iPhone, right? But I'm not talking about two-way videos. I'm talking about the ability to connect to the pet while it's in the home of the client and look at factual basis, not anecdotal data, but real data on activity levels, on medical compliance, on all kinds of um, stuff like that, and provide good medical uh, recommendations remotely. Once people get used to that, especially in the COVID-19 area, there's no going back. I'm not saying that clinics are shutting, are going to be shut down. No, but the telemedicine remote connected care capability is here to stay. Like it or not, if it's like it or not, it's here to stay. It's not just me saying it, it's across the board. So after giving away the sugar for free for two months, the vet is so hooked and their clients are so hooked on that level of service that the vet, like it or not, will need to continue. And we price the system in such a way where the price is not a barrier to entry. So a vet pays a flat fee of $129 a month per clinic regardless of how many clients, how many pets, how many vets are working in that clinic. And that's not a barrier to entry. So now when you convert from free to paid, it's an easy conversion. Here's um, a question. Uh, Roy, you said uh, sugar for free for 60 days, which I like. One of the things that we've struggled with historically in the past is we know our product. We know our product that we build here at Expert Trades for plumbers, heat engineers, electricians will change their business. It will give them more time, save them four hours a week. We know this is true. However, getting them to move from pen and paper, writing quotes on the back of a fag packet, however they're doing it today, to actually use the system so they have that aha moment, that's really painful. Like, What have you learned to get these vets to actually adopt the system? Is it because of the value of the product and sort of the LTV? Have you got enough resources to be able to physically handhold these vets through that onboarding? How do you get them to use it so they get to that magic moment? So we did two things. The first one was on the front end, we applied pressure on the vets. And we did that by a B2C to B. So whenever we went into a market, a certain city, let's say Boston, for example, we run very aggressive campaigns on digital marketing for consumers, going after the millennial and the pet gen market about here's an app that uh, will enable you to do this and that and whatever 
on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and Snapchat on every platform available. And we told them, now you need to talk to your vet, you need to talk to your trainer, you need to talk to your worker and have them download the corresponding portal so that you as the pet parent can have that experience that you need on your app. So classic B2C to B. And lo and behold, that created grassroots um, pressure. We even have a couple of vets in Ireland um, that have reached out to us saying they want to work on the platform because they have clients who are using the app with it. We're not using doing it now because of GDPR, as I said, but that worked better than expected. So that was po point number one. Point number two, we told the vets, we told everybody, there's a marketing angle in the app. You can set your own promotion. Hey, I'm Dr. Adam, you know, come in, uh, your first visit free, 20% off your forthcoming visits or whatever the promotion you want to do. And we send that promotion out to every app user that doesn't already have a vet within a 25 mile radius. And that created a free marketing angle. So all of the, vet, of the vets who wanted to get new clientele, all of the workers and groomers who and trainers who wanted to reignite their business, everybody that wanted to get more clients now have a platform where they can send out a promotion to all app users within a 25 mile radius and get people eyes on it. And it's basically free. All it costs them is a monthly subscription. And that was an easy sell. So it was a combination of giving them features that they need, plus creating grassroots um, pressure from the uh, consumer level that you know, made the transition. Yeah, I love it. What, what I just heard is that old um, paracetamol and ice cream create a little bit of pain as one bit of pressure, which is people knocking on the door saying, listen, I've got the power here. I'm the pet parent. I'm using this app and I need you to use it too because I'm the one paying you the money. Uh, and then secondly, you've got the ice cream, which is that nice aha moment, which is something that makes the, the vet feel good, free promotional channel. Normally, I speak to business owners that do one or the other. Um, I guess the combination of both of those two things together resulted in the onboarding, faster uh, uptake and the, the growth that you guys have seen. Um, Roy, I just want to, as we sort of draw to a close of the interview, I just want to hear how you are dealing with the current situation. This interview is going to go out probably towards mid to end of May uh, 2020. And the world is interesting, as, uh, as you said before we hit record, uh, in terms of how, uh, how people are seeing the world right now is right now it's interesting. How are you guys finding uh, the, the current circumstances? And you've sort of alluded to it already in terms of how you guys operate and the features and the uh, feature set you've built in terms of telemedicine and uh, remote features. I can imagine right now uh, you're seeing some growth, but I also see the landscaping shifting in the future to make this more of the norm. Um, how do you see what's gone on in terms of how it's going to impact Babble Bark in the future? So, the COVID-19 situation, unfortunately, I mean, I would, I would wish it would never have happened, obviously, mm -hmm. but from the business perspective, it's been really helpful for us because the whole concept of the platform of connecting everybody remotely and enabling the trainer 
to continue to give you your obedience training course by remote and having eyes on the pet and helping you, the pet owner, continue with those training. Or the vet having continuous care and connected care and remote monitoring remotely. All of that is, ex you know, the COVID-19 just created a catalyst for those, uh, uh, for the need for those features. And, and the growth has, ex has exploded. Now, as things are slowly reopening in the U.S., we're seeing even more expanded growth on the pet businesses. You know, the groomers, the trainers, the, those guys, because as they're reigniting their business, they need quicker, cheaper, wider marketing capabilities. And they, you know, everything from payment services, so they won't need to chase after checks, you know, on a monthly basis. You just put in the credit card and pay for the service the moment it happens, like you do with Uber or Lyft and those guys, all the way to pure marketing and promotions and the outreach programs and all of that. So it's, it's, the current situation has created a huge catalyst and boost for the business because everything we provide, teleservices, telemedicine, telehealth, is exactly what's needed at the moment. And I absolutely agree with you that going into the future, you know, the, the tsunami wave of people needing these services might slow down, but it's never going to end because the cat is, you know, the horse is out of the barn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the cat's out of the hat. You know, teleservices are here to stay. Uh, they're never going back. So it might be less of volume, but the continuous growth will continue. Roy, there is so many things that I've pulled out of this interview that I'm going to go away and think about in terms of the similarities in our strategy as a business. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Is there, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with? And I guess largely thinking that the majority of our audience are uh, people about to likely leave their jobs uh, to start their first um, start their first business or small business owners, sort of five to 20 people, um, entrepreneurs. Uh, take me back to that time and a bit of advice that you'd like to leave our listeners with. So I would say, given my experience over several startups and, and other stuff, I would say there's two things I learned over time that I wish I knew way back when. The first one is don't be blinded by love of your own product. Keep very keen eyes on the market. You might need to pivot your product. You might need to tweak your product. You might need to, you know, change by 90 degrees and do that according to what the market tells you. If you're too much in love with the product, you're too blinded by your own idea, you're going to lose eyesight on what the market is telling you and then you're going, you're going to go under. And, and that's, that's a bad thing. The second thing I would say is, don't pay cheap. You're not rich enough to pay cheap because you're going to end up paying twice. Hire <laughs> people by talent, not by their cost. If you want to hire three developers, but you only have the budget to do one and a half really good people, then, you know, buy, you know, then hire one really good person with another contractor at kind of half pace. Don't hire three mediocre people because you're going to end up getting a problematic product. Your time to market is going to be way longer. Your customer success is going to be way lower and you're going to have to end up paying twice. So if you follow those two rules, in my humble opinion, 
of keeping a keen eye on the market, not being blinded by your own product. And secondly, not paying cheap, but paying for talent, you have a reasonably good chance of success. If you don't follow any one of these two, you have a good chance of being screwed. Roy, that is uh, some of the best advice I've heard when I've asked someone on the spot to drop some wisdom. I appreciate that, Roy. Um, if someone is listening to this and they go, I'm a pet parent, and uh, if you're in the UK, you heard it here, is it's going to be coming to the market after GDPR, um, if they get through the GDPR items in the summer. Uh, but where do people go right now to learn more about Babelbark? They're going to go to our website, which is babelbark.com. That's B-A-B-E-L-B-A-R-K.com. Um, and that's the main website where you have, you know, sections for pet parents, for vets, for businesses, for shelters, and all of that. Or if you're in North America, you can just go in the Canada or the US, you can just go to either the App Store or to the Google Play Store and download the app. It's a basic free app. You can download it for free. Again, it's called Babelbark, B-A-B-E-L-B-A-R-K. And um, if you want to get, you know, for two and a half dollars a month, 24-7 vet hotline and lost and found services and all that kind of great stuff, just sign up for Alpha Pack inside the app. Absolutely love it. Roy, thank you so much for your time today. Stay well and look after that family of yours. Thank you. My pleasure. 